Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Wood Talk, crafting artisanal sawdust since 2007. Now, here are your hosts, Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it is show number 449 for October 15th, 2018. On today's show, we're talking about not dusting computers. That was the voicemail from the last show. Skip that one. (laughs) Pardon me. Uh, Planter box refinishing. Why lumber dealers are closed on the weekends and is rough lumber really necessary? Uh, so let's get right into it. We've got a couple of kickback voicemails here. First one is from Brian, and as he titled it, it's a sweet, delicious voicemail. Hey guys, I've got a little bit of kickback about your last, you know what really grinds my gears segments? Um, listen, you wanted a new name for it. There it is, Mark. Um <laughs> No, my my comment is this, Mark. I totally agree with you. The implicit and explicit product placement, kind of annoying, very dismaying, um, totally par for the course with the Internet, though. I think we all know that. Um, My question is, do you think it's going to get even more prevalent? I know YouTube has made things a little bit more restrictive and harder for small content creators to... um, get the sweet AdSense bucks these days. So are people going to be doing more product placement or is that all just going to result in smaller content creators having no revenue stream and giving up? And uh, we're going to have um, big channels with more product placement and content creation in general are just going to go the uh, same financial whore direction that every entertainment industry does. (coughs) Sorry. Um, Yeah, well, that's my question, I guess. And don't mind me. You know, I tried a YouTube channel. I sucked at it. I quit. I'm jealous. Love you guys. Bye-bye. Hmm. <laughs> the sweet um, AdSense books. Sweet AdSense pennies. I don't know. I, I like his comment about going the general whore direction. Yeah, <laughs> the, the money whore direction. I I don't know. We could speculate on this all we want. Um, I would I would imagine the way things are going it's getting harder and harder. And I think the reality of what it's like to create a channel and try to get it to a point where it goes full time, uh, you see a lot of people jumping into that. But the harder the market becomes, where the the word gets out that it's not like, start a channel, quit your job. Like, it, it's not going to happen that fast. Uh, I don't know what the statistics were, but I, I remember seeing something and I read it on the internet, so it must be true. Um <laughs> That the chances because you, you wrote it, <clears throat> yeah. Because actually, this was in an article that I wrote. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, that the the chances percentage wise of becoming a success, and by success meaning you could you know live on this uh, type of income, it, like as a YouTuber, is less than like being someone who goes to L.A. to try to be a Hollywood star. I don't know if that's true, but I've, I, I've heard that too, but I think that's like misconstrued as just how many people are going to make it just on like AdSense or just on platform revenue. Sure. Okay. That's that, uh, that, that not, sounds not necessarily accurate. how smart of a business person you are and how well you're able to actually monetize your audience. Yeah. I would, I would question that it would be that much different though. I mean, because 
It's the, pretty slim. The off-platform revenue. I mean, certainly you can do things. I'm a perfect example. You guys are both examples of that. <clears throat> you know, we don't rely upon our AdSense revenue, nor did the off-platform revenue become really a result of the on-platform revenue. I mean, I've been doing this since before YouTube, so yeah. I can't really credit YouTube for that. I can certainly credit some additional business from YouTube, but I often wonder, you know, the, the folks that are using YouTube as a primary tool are there really that many of them who are creating revenue from off-platform? Yeah. I don't think there's that many, honestly. Well, and I would imagine as it, the word gets out that this actually is a difficult thing to do and the you know uh, the, the, the channels that are out there inspiring people to try to do this full-time as they sort of let on, and, and especially now as things are becoming more and more difficult on YouTube and some of these top mm-hmm. channels are seeing their numbers dip uh, and especially seeing in the woodworking world the amount of white noise that's there and how difficult it is for your stuff to show up where people's eyeballs are. Uh, as that word gets out, maybe there's just less motivation to do this. And who knows, maybe it'll go back to a situation where there is this very big sort of dichotomy where you've got the channels who are very successful. They're doing their monetization thing. They're doing their product placements and whatever. And then the rest of the people are just people who are doing this because it's a hobby. They like it. They just want to show people what they're working on, share what they're working on. And the money is just a, you know, it's a side conversation. It's not their primary goal. I don't know that that's such a bad place to be. Um, I think when people are starting a bunch of channels because they're hoping that this is their ticket to quitting their day job, we get a lot of white noise and we get a situation that we're actually in right now uh, where a lot of people will start it because why not? Let's try this. If it you know, takes off, this may be the key to being able to leave my job. Uh, but then they have to abandon the channel because their heart wasn't really in it in the first place. Right. I mean, it's indicative by the number of people that actually talk about YouTube analytics. Like <laughs> yeah. nobody cared about that stuff. Like, did you ever even look at your analytics channel, you know, seven years ago, eight years ago? I mean, it didn't really matter Dude, because you were making qu- what you wanted to make. Yeah. The question um, is whether now, I looked at my analytics seven days ago. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm the worst when it comes to analytics. Well, go there, ahead. There's just way too much conversation around that and using the analytics to tell you what content to make. And it's like, while I can appreciate that, because you do want to, you know, if the audience is liking this, the smart business move is to make more of it. But, you know, God, that just sounds awful to me as a creator, as a woodworker, as someone who enjoys being in my shop, just call it what you will, pandering to what the audience is going to go after. I do recognize there's some necessity to that, but that's just not how I work. I, I'm so tired of talking about workbenches, for God's sake. <laughs> but they sell. Another they sell. Talk more about I it. I know. And all I have to do is mention it in passing and the views go through the roof. And it's like, man, there's so much workbench content out there. Why do you need me to make any more workbench content? And I think that's when things, you know, that, that, doing it because you love doing it. And then there's the other aspect of success being measured as being able to quit your day job. I think success should be measured in your ability to quit your day job now and like 10 years from now. Yeah, not be screwed. The (laughs) sustainability factor. There doesn't seem to be anybody thinking about that sustainability thing. You know, you can make, I would even say that if you really put some effort into it, you can actually make a decent living if you just look at it in the, in the, of uh, the perspective of one, like one tax year. Okay. You know, what is the decent living? You know, it's yeah. going to vary from one person. It's going to be 50,000. Another person's going to be 150,000. Another's going to be 850,000. Great. Good for you. You made that in one year. What about next year? What about 2027? You know, can you do that? Because frankly, <laughs> we can't live on one year's revenue. <laughs> yeah. Well, Don't and I think that especially <laughs> if you're following the simple YouTube channel model, you're going to be in trouble. You know, if this is something like, I'm glad you made it work once, but the question is, can you, you know, catch lightning in the bottle multiple times? Most people can't and put themselves in a pretty scary situation. We think about this, Matt. I think that's all very good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. No, I think, well, I I think everything you say, like even what Shannon was saying about like being able to do it year after year, I think that's just part of being, smart with your business and understanding that it's a business and really thinking and strategizing about how to make this sustainable for a longer period of time. And I let me go back to it all the time, but it's 
a lot of it's going to be diversification. If you're just sitting there trying to make your AdSense money, it's probably not going to go so well because even, even when they had like the adpocalypse thing and everyone's like freaking out because they're not making any money on AdSense anymore, if I if that happened to me, they're like, cool. I mean, that's a small, very small part of my income. So I'm I've really distanced myself away from that in a smart way. Where I'm, if I don't get, if I decide to like not make as many videos in a month and I get uh, half as many views and my AdSense money drops in half, so what? Right. Sure, I mean, I lost a little bit of money, but it's not going to impact me in, in the bigger sense of it at all because you, my my revenue overall is not impacted by that dropping off. Yeah, you've insulated yourself from it. Absolutely. Yeah. You married a lawyer. I mean, <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Uh, I didn't marry her. That's one tactic. And I, and I, I won't. I'm not going to like. Hey, I pretend think Mark like that can back help. me up on the importance of the sugar mama, right? Oh, totally. <laughs> I mean, the only reason Nicole works for the company now is because she was my sugar mama for a number of years. <laughs> like, there's no, there's no getting around that. Yeah, it certainly made so, my transition a lot easier. I'm not going to say that it didn't help and that that didn't like impact where I'm at right now. Not having to worry nearly as much about bringing in all that money all the time because. We had a stable income in the household, mm-hmm. but I know not everyone's going to have that opportunity. So I, yeah. a lot of it's going to be a teacher. Don't. She could be. And for a while, you know what? We're paying the student loans. Could have been, you know, as far as revenue goes or income goes. Similar. But anyway. Well, it, it's it's going to be interesting to watch. You know, we've got channels who um, we talked about them last time. Uh, channels and accounts, you know, on Instagram who really are product focused. They generally only post things that are sponsored or motivated by sort of creating sponsorships. And that's fine. I mean, it is, it is what it is, but it's going to be very interesting to, to watch the evolution of this stuff and what happens. I mean, we're in a a situation now where quite a few of the, the people who were like early on with this, the, the, the people who were really behind the weekly format and sometimes even multiple videos per week, uh, folks like that who are all but abandoning their free content for the sake of paid content. And that's actually, in a lot of ways, it's creating a bit of a vacuum, you know, where where people are going, well, hey, where's all the stuff I want to watch that I don't have to pay for, you know? So it's like <laughs> the pendulum is, is always kind of swinging back and forth. And there may be opportunities for people if you're paying attention to where things are going. And maybe, just maybe, if the herd's going in one direction, maybe you should see what's happening on the other side and go the other way because there might be an opportunity there, you know? So it's it, it's just interesting to observe as, as this you know, community and uh, the business segment kind of evolves over time. What's interesting as well is I think that the brands like the the company or the product brands or whatever, mm-hmm. they're, they're kind of starting to come around to the whole idea that, Oh, let's, let's call it influencer influencer marketing is actually a thing that maybe I should check out. Maybe I should put some of my marketing budget into that now because yeah. I, I heard about it now. Whereas like, I don't know when I started like four years ago, five years ago, whatever it was like, if you reached out to a company and said, oh, yeah, I do this thing on the Internet and I'll put your product here and you'll pay me for it. They'd be like, uh, if they even get a response, they'd be like, no, I don't understand what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now really I, I think it's them. become a lot more like a realistic, solid mainstream marketing avenue for companies. And they actually understand that there is a ton of value here and it's probably pretty cheap comparatively mm-hmm. for what they're getting. Totally. Oh, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> Everything's cheaper to advertise on the internet. Print traditional marketing is still way more expensive. Crazy enough. But yes, yeah, so I think we'll see more influx of actual like uh I don't know, revenue for people that that want to do advertising on their their platforms. Because there's well, more companies wanting to do it. Well, and I wonder how long it's gonna take to get past the guerrilla marketing aspect of this where these companies realize that um they could just pepper the 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 world with their product and wind up getting a whole bunch of free advertising as a result of this. Uh, like, are we going to get to a point yeah. where there's a little more, now I don't want to say regulation, but like there are benchmarks there. The, the companies will go, Hey, I'll send you this product. You talk about it. And this person goes, no, like go ask anybody else. They're going to charge you this much money for that privilege. You know, I would, I just wonder if we're ever going to get to that point or maybe, maybe we're already that's, sort that's of there. That- that's going to be on the people that are like, oh, I don't want to take this for free. I want you to pay me to take it for free. But I, I don't see that going away so easily because there's going to be so many people that are always going to be kind of just starting and they're just really excited about just getting something for free. <laughs> yeah, a company paid and attention to me. Yeah, they don't really think about the long term or even like the bigger 
industry issue with that. If I take this for free, well, then then the guy making a living making content isn't going to be able to get paid for or not going to be interested in paying him for exposure on, on or his or her uh, platform. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. total aside here, last show we talked, uh, Shannon talked about that, and this has nothing to do with what we're <laughs> talking about now, but I, <laughs> I just wanted to move on. <clears throat> so, Shannon, you talked about the finishing tent. So while yeah. we were recording and talking about that, I went to Rockler's site and I looked at it. I just now checked my email while Matt was talking on my phone, and I've got an email from Rockler with <laughs> yeah. that tent in the email saying, uh, starting a new project? And it's just like, oh, we, it doesn't even say that like we noticed you were looking at this. It's just casually fr- <laughs> throwing that image into this email. <laughs> no, they've got, they've got remarketing pixels everywhere. Rockler is a big one on that automation stuff. It's Man, crazy. that's huge. Jeez, that was quick. Well, I, I don't, I don't want to kill your your attempt to segue, Mark. <laughs> no, no, but no, I think the, the other thing that really people need to think about is the brands themselves, <gasps> and and really the big marketing money. The more legitimate, not legitimate, that's the wrong word. <laughs> substantial brands, yeah, are terrified of the internet because of the wild west nature of it. And it's not like who's going to comment on my stuff. It's because the platform is unregulated itself. So you can you can tap into an influence marketer, and if their primary method is video, they're probably using YouTube. Well, YouTube can serve up whatever ads they want and whatever related videos they want on the back half of that. Mm-hmm. That creator can also throw various cards and links to their other stuff in there that can overshadow whatever that product is that brand is going for. And, you know, the extreme example being that dickhead Logan Paul and his suicide (laughs) force crap, you know, big brands pulled out of YouTube because they don't want to be associated. They don't want their brand to be associated with that platform because they don't have control over where their logo is next to another logo that maybe they want nothing to do with. So from a CMO perspective, chief marketing officer perspective, you look at that and go, no, there's too much risk in that. I'm going to stick with something where I can have more control over. And if, you know, maybe if here's a company that primarily their business is running off of their website, you know, and they've got videos over there or something like that, you know, then maybe we've got a little bit more control over you're using a platform, you know, like Wisty or Vimeo, and you've got more control over what's actually being shown there, then you're going to see more of these big brands taking interest. But that's also in a direct paradigm shift kind of away from the whole website idea. I mean, Mm -hmm. we all have websites because you kind of feel like you have to, but you know, websites are still other than like, you know, our subscription sites and such websites have become less and less important because more and more is happening on platforms like Instagram and YouTube and things like that. But still doesn't change the fact that as a brand, I want to make sure that I've got full control over where my logo, where my product is being shown and what's being shown next to it. I mean, that's, what's going to really keep the full buy-in of like the real advertising money that's out there. They don't want anything to do with this stuff. It's far too scary. All right. Well, I think that's enough mm-hmm. for our marketing and advertising segment. <laughs> yeah, <right. clears throat> Let's talk a little bit about planter box finishing. Hey guys, this is Cameron from Southern California. I'll be building some windowsill sized planter boxes out of aromatic cedar in the near future. Building this aside from providing me with some planter boxes will mostly be a practice in box making techniques. That being said, I'd be happy if they lasted about a year or more. Do you think a finish would be necessary considering all the moisture and sun they'd be seeing? I don't care so much about the looks, but rather that they last about a year or more, as I've said. Thanks again. Love the show. Okay. If I were making planter boxes, I would probably try to find some kind of an insert. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't need, like, just the, the concept of soil, constant moisture, sounds like something that just isn't a great idea. And I would try to find inserts that are just a particular size, uh, you know, maybe ones that they make for commercial purchasable ones uh, and size my box to fit those inserts. I wouldn't even bother with finish, but uh, either of you, would you try something different? Try a particular type of finish? No, I wouldn't put finish on it at all. You just go, just go raw? Naked. Nice. Nothing wrong with that. I do what you got to do. It's a little unsafe. You never know what you're going to get, but that's fine. Okay. Uh, let's see. Well, I guess we'll just move on. 
Uh, <laughs> just leave it at that. I, I mean, if I, if I chose a good exterior wood, if I use something like cedar, I, 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 you know, the finish is just going to deteriorate when it comes into contact with the topsoil and all that no potting soil and everything. Do. Just, I don't put a finish on it. It's mm-hmm. fine. That makes sense. It's okay. Uh, okay. So we got another email from, <clears throat> excuse me. Remember the gentleman in Ethiopia? He called back again, which is awesome. What is up guys? This is Muki again from Ethiopia. Thank you for your heavy-duty machinery recommendation on last episode, I suppose. It was really good, and it's working, and thank you guys again. Today, I want to mention some facts about Ethiopian woodworking. I remember one of you guys mentioned last time, uh, generally, Africa is a good resource for hardwood lumbers. But uh, especially in Ethiopia, even if it's relatively cheap to buy hardwood, a lot of population tend to buy cheap Chinese, cheaper furniture, so... Uh, it's really quite difficult to sell fine wood working made with hardwood, okay? So that's that. <laughs> uh, another thing I want to mention today is there are some quite, quite crazy woodworking techniques I only see in Ethiopia, uh, not on any internet so far, uh, in my opinion, I guess. Uh, I will only mention one today, and I will come up with a couple of um, uh, okay next time. Uh, people use here, especially traditional woodworkers in Ethiopia, use wood glue as a sealer. They literally thin wood glue with water, and they use brush to apply, especially on MDF surfaces. And it's really working for them. Uh, I tried a couple of times. Uh, I don't like this plasticish layer that creates on top of it, but uh, it's working, and uh, I want to know what you guys say about it. Wood glue as a sealer. Thank you guys again. Thank you. Interesting. Wasn't this um, just recently, maybe six months ago, uh, someone, there was a video going around or uh, Wood Magazine or somebody did something uh, highlighting using glue as a finish. Do you guys remember that? Could have no. sworn we talked about it on the show. Yeah, we did, didn't we? Uh, it's crap. ringing a bell, but I can't remember the details. So this is, is CA glue, maybe, but that wouldn't have been as surprising. It was actually something that was. It might have been like polyurethane glue or something. Dang, I can't hmm. remember, but it was a box. That rings a bell, yeah. Yeah, it was like a box project, and it, CA glue wouldn't have been too surprising because people do that with turnings. Um, but it was something else. I think it was polyurethane glue. So uh, you know, I guess finishing products are so prevalent and easily accessible around here that I guess no one really thinks about that as a viable finish solution. But I guess theoretically, you know, it bonds to the wood. It creates a layer. I I can't see why it's a, a, I wouldn't call it a terrible idea. It's just not something that we do very often, maybe just by habit and, you know, just the way woodworking happens in the States. I I don't see any reason why you couldn't do it though. Yeah. I mean, I think you'll find in most kind of what's the word I'm looking for. There's no, there's no way to say that. I guess third world type situations where maybe the media saturation and the YouTube saturation isn't so crazy. You're going to find a lot more variance in technique because not everybody's marching to the same beat of the guy on YouTube. (laughs) You know, well, and you also have to be more resourceful to use what you have and you have wood glue because that's how you're putting this stuff together. So it probably crossed someone's mind at some point to go, hey, let's dilute this and, and see if this seals the wood adequately as a finish. And then you don't have to worry about glue contamination and removing glue. Oh, it's all contaminated. That's, That's awesome. Right. That's yeah. great. It this won't take stain at all. We're doing it. That's perfect. I wonder how would they even look? I guess I've never seen it. I don't know how it would even look. Would that be like super flat? Because you probably wouldn't be able to – it wouldn't bring out much of the grain, right? Because it's kind of like um, Charles Neal's blotch control is kind of similar yeah. to that. That kind of same concept. Well, he says that he doesn't like it. He says it looks like a layer of plastic, <laughs> so it's probably not going to have a whole lot well, of clarity to it. I mean, I guess all finishes look like layers of plastic, depending on who you talk to. That's true. But there's good plastic and there's bad plastic. <laughs> so this probably looks like cheap plastic <laughs> instead of the good stuff. <laughs> well, it's interesting. You know, huh. I'd be curious if anybody actually does this by preference. Uh, I would think because we have access to uh, a variety of finishing products, we just don't think of it. But when, you know, necessity is the mother of invention and this is stuff you already have and it's cheap, maybe it's just a good working, you know, utilitarian solution to finishing. I could see as like a good thing on like, um, if you want to seal up like MDF or particle board or something. Yeah. See, so you have like a seal coat, like a cheap seal coat. 
Maybe. Well, let, well, let's take a step back because I don't want to misrepresent this. Um, there is uh, glue size, right? This is something that yeah. tra- traditionally right. woodworkers have used diluted glue as a sealer, but typically it's for specific situations like end grain. Um, and like you're saying with MDF, so glue size is a thing, but finishing your, your quote unquote fine woodworking project with glue is just something that's not routinely done. I just, I don't see it popping the grain. Like I like ain't going to pop the grain. Know? Well, that would, could, could be a new, uh, feature for type bond to consider, you know, just got to <laughs> add dye to the type bond. Right. With a few drops of trans tint and you pop the grain with your glue finish. Let's we should experiment with this. It could be the, yeah, the newest you, craze. You, you, you should you experiment. Me, with that. Uh, go ahead. Dang it! I'll watch. I'll watch the video. <laughs> Let and, me know how it like goes. It. <laughs> oh, I, I love your little experiment videos. They always go so well, especially oh. in the comments. No, they go great. <laughs> they look. My experiments go great until I publish them. <laughs> then it's you're gonna start getting phone calls from franklin industries about how you're using it wrong now yeah exactly well you didn't use it correctly well i used it based on the instructions well that's not the correct way to do it well then why do you put it on a <laughs> stupid label <laughs> and I'm, that's not type on by the way we're talking about finishing companies. somebody else yeah <laughs> <laughs> who shall right. remain nameless the voldemort of the woodworking world i Okay. I cringe every single time I see someone using that finish now. That's I cringe too, man. I have I have a bodily reaction to it. <laughs> Poopy pants? I do. I just a little just a little nugget. Not a lot. Little uh, <laughs> a little Hershey's kiss. <laughs> Goes, okay. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Oh, <laughs> Let's get to our emails. I'll read the first one here. Okay, first one is from Pete. He says, All hardwood stores located around me are closed on the weekends. I work a full-time office gig, which which I could buy online, but I want to be at the store and choose my own pieces. Are there any reasons why they're closed on the weekends? I have a a suspicion why, but I'll let the guy who works at one answer this question. Yeah, the guy who also works a full-time office gig. Yeah. I want my weekends off too. Don't we all? I mean, that's, most hardwood stores are selling to industry and industry is open Monday through Friday. The contractors are not working on Saturdays and Sundays. Maybe some of them are, but um, generally not. Um, they're taking their days off as well because they have also worked a full-time gig, like like you've said. So retail stores will have some hours. A lot of times you'll find that they're pretty truncated on Saturday. Like they're closing at noon or one o'clock on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and, and we have done this, we had a retail store in Connecticut and the amount of traffic that you would see was so small. It was, you're starting to wonder, is it even worth keeping the store open um, <clears throat> to pay the employees to be there, to keep the lights on because the the average traffic coming through there was relatively small. And you think about it, you know, how often do you go and buy hardwood? You know, maybe if you're keeping no stock on hand, you're buying hardwood before you begin a project. How many projects do you build a year? Let's just say you build one a month, the 12 projects out of the year. So you're making 12 trips to the lumber store throughout the year. That sounds like a lot. That is definitely not enough to keep the lights on to that lumber store. Probably not for a whole lot when you go to just throw it up. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you you guys have heard this before. We, the weekend woodworkers, the small, even small professional furniture makers, we are not their customer. You cannot sustain a lumber business on the pittance that we make <laughs> off pittance. of us. And, and I say that being in the lumber industry, but also being a customer. Um, it just, I, I, 
I will go to like Hearn Hardwoods or Groff and Groff Lumber or Free State Timber. You're welcome, guys, for the advertising um, locally. <laughs> and like I'm embarrassed by how little money I spend. It's like I know that I'm just I'm just annoying you at this point. I'm just, oh, God, there's another weekend woodworker who's going to come in and drop like $100 at most. Well, you're you doing know? the, the onesie, onesie twosie purchases. I mean, these people aren't buying yeah. 100 board feet of stock most times. So even if the foot traffic were higher, each customer is buying a heck of a lot less than the commercial customers. Right. Put, it, put it this way. There are many restaurants that are not open for lunch because their menu, they don't make any money at lunch. They make their money at dinner, so they stay open during dinner. And these lumberyards are the exact same. They don't make any money on the weekends. So they give their employees a day off because if they didn't, then they've got to have like another shift of people because their other employees are working, you know, 6 a.m. to 4 p.m. usually Monday through Friday. So they need their weekends off too. When When I go to like a big commercial outfit like that, I usually walk in there and I'm just kind of like, uh, probably what where they prefer me to be. And that's sort of the submissive, thanks for letting me in, guys. I only need a couple <laughs> of boards. Like, I'll be out of your hair in a minute. You know, <laughs> like I'm not the guy buying tons of material. I just feel lucky to be able to shop there. Yeah. I mean, I wish, I wish it could be the other way because, you know, being on both sides of that fence, I'm like, I get indignant because it's like, well, I, you know, I have a right to buy lumber too. But every retail in every retail yard that I've seen try to make it a go ends up pulling back. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't make this work. You know, every, and God bless the guys at Bell Forest, how they've managed to make it work. They must do a lot of other commercial trades somewhere else, but selling lumber online is a nightmare. Absolute yeah. money losing nightmare. <laughs> I've done it. I've tried it. I've known many of my customers and my competitors who have tried it and have had to back away from it because it's just really hard to do. The retail lumber facility is the same thing. You've got to have it inventory displayed a totally different way than you would as, as somebody who's selling more bulk volumes. Um, and you have to buy differently as well. And you have to, um, have a, get used to a much, 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 much slower turn rate. Your retail lumber will sit on those racks for a Mm -hmm. long, long time. And from a buying perspective, especially if you're dealing in exotics, Oh, it sucks. <laughs> like you have to buy. I mean, when I buy, not me, I don't do the buying. Thank goodness. Um, when we <laughs> buy exotic lumber, we're buying it like a year, a year and a half in advance at best. Ooh. So we have to project how much material are we going to need? What have we sold in past years? And you've got to place those orders with the sawmills because it takes a long time to produce. And then it takes a long time to ship across an ocean. And then it takes a long time to dry it and get it actually ready for sale. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, you've got all of this material showing up in like February and you got to find a place to put it. And, you know, and from a retail perspective, if that lumber then takes a year to turn, the bank hates me. Like, because you're buying all this lumber essentially on, on a loan. There's very few lumber yards that are actually buying their stuff in cash. You know, you're, you're have, you have lines of credit based upon your inventory, based upon revenue and things like that. So you essentially have bought a whole bunch of lumber. We'll just say, you know, $10 million worth of lumber on a line of credit and you don't turn it for 18 months. The bank is knocking on your door every Mm -hmm. five minutes going, where's our money? You know, and that's, it's just the way the business runs. So it's, it sucks. It's unfortunate, but retail lumber yards are just few and far between. Yeah. Which leads nicely into one of our other questions here about surface lumber. Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Matt, how that was you... like a lumber industry update, folks. It we didn't play was. the song, but you just Pretty got much. it. So. For free. We didn't even charge you for the, the cost of the song. Straight up lumber industry update right there. Old school style. Um, Matt, why don't you read this one? Because it's a, it's addressed to me, and I think that's a nice habit for us to get oh, into. <laughs> this again. <laughs> All right. So my name is Andrew. I say, hi, Mark. I live in Thailand and enjoy your show. My question or challenge for you is to do some interesting project without the age of your marvelous tools like I do. No table saw, router bench, jointer, thickness, or bandsaw, lathe, or CNC machine. No Festool track saws, just basic power saw, handsaw, plunge router, power drill, and a few hand tools. See what you can come up with that the ordinary man can do. 
FPS most days is over 35 degrees centigrade or 95 degrees Fahrenheit where I work, so I'm usually dripping with sweat, not in the air-conditioned comfort. Also, I only have one PowerPoint with an extension cord for power. What? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, is there a question in there? Is this a kickback? Is it's this it's a, like a request. I guess. All I guess right. you can call it a request. So turn up the heat, Mark. You got to get up to 95. Look, I came from Arizona. Off your butt. I came from Arizona. I'm familiar with higher temperatures than that. Yeah, but he's in Thailand. You're going to need to bring a humidifier in. That's true. <laughs> I, I did have a swamp cooler, and there were times where I forgot to open the door, and whole baby, it was like a rainforest yeah. in there. You should just have uh, Nicole stand there with like a hose on like a mister setting and yeah. just constantly be spraying you at all times. Have the heat at like 100 so that the water doesn't cool you off too much. Yeah. Or make sure that it's spraying warm water. Have her hook it up to like the kitchen faucet or something. That sounds there like a go. great idea. Um, so I put this in here, not, not to necessarily pick on Andrew, um, but in answer to this request, no. Uh, <laughs> I, I cannot say it with any more energy and uh, excitement than that. No, here's the thing. I get this request a lot. There are people who are like, hey, why don't you try it like this? Why don't you do it like this? And it's like, no, I do the kind of woodworking that I want to do. If I wanted to do hand tool woodworking, I'd call myself Shannon and uh, create the handtoolschool.co and uh, you know, yes. make a living that way. But the thing is, I do the kind of woodworking I want to do. If you want to see people do this kind of woodworking, there are tons of other people out there doing it. I, I don't understand this this desire to see me go without because you know what I mean. Like it's a weird thing that people want to see me create. Or in same, I'm sure you guys get this too. Uh, create things in a situation that you're completely uncomfortable with. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I have designed my shop with the tools that I like to use to make the thing to me, it's not, it, it, you know, a lot of times I just want to make great things and I like tools that facilitate making that happen. Uh, so I pick the tools that I enjoy using. Now this guy says, I want to see you do this like the average ordinary person, but he still mentions power saws, plunge routers, power drill. Well, my challenge to you is to, to make it like Shannon does and then get rid of all that powered stuff. Who needs that crap? Like, where do we stop? And I think each person has their own individual comfort zone of tooling that they want it's to use. funny because then I'll have people write me and say, well, I'd like to see you do it without those fancy Lee Nielsen and Veritas tools. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you just use sharp, right, I'll go get my flint <laughs> a stick and some twine. Well, Hey, we I'll talked right about the, that. We talked about that guy who, uh, who made the stool with his mouth, right? He just, yeah, there he we just go. chewed the wood away. So anyway, the He's point, the only real worker amongst us, we're all just posers compared to him. That's right. But yeah, so the point or here the only is real like, beaver. I, I don't uh, I don't believe in tool shaming and not not that Andrew is doing this again. This is just bringing to light comments that I've gotten over the years by people who want to see me in this less, uh, you know, tool tool focused um, uh, building style, I guess, I guess you would say. But the answer is no. I, I've gotten to a point in my career where I don't need to prove anything anymore. Like Shannon with a power planer, he doesn't need to prove that he can flatten a board. I don't need to prove that I could build something with with lesser quality tools. I am happy with the tools that I use, I love using them and I would rather just keep building stuff than, than worry about some artificial restrictions. Anyway. I think the funniest part about your like tool setup is like, there's so many things like so much higher than what you have now. Yeah. As far as tooling goes, like where's your wide belt and like, where's uh I don't know, your giant sliding panel saw and uh, my CNC here. Yeah. Where's your giant, giant giant cnc and all the yeah. other like there's so many things that you could have so, i think april's got a better equipped shop than you mark most likely yeah. i yeah. mean look i have i have nice versions of the tools i have but ultimately my shop in terms of like the functionality of each individual tool is pretty much the same for like the last 10 years uh you could say maybe the domino kind of has changed things but how many videos do you want to see of me making a traditional mortise and tenon joint uh, at a certain point, it's like, okay, let's get on with it and just get the project made. So, I mean, I've, I've held, you know, fairly true to the style of workshop that I like to work in and that may evolve over time, but for now that's where I'm at. And I, I think I'm, I'm, you know, it's a good place for me to be because I'm happy there. Unapologetically happy there. As long as you're happy, Mark, that's, that's all I want for you. Thank you, Matt. I really appreciate that. <laughs> I knew I could count on Speaking you. of happy, speaking of happy, some guy just walked by my, my house Smoking a doobie. Ooh. That's not where I thought that was going. No. I no, it's just, I, I, I smelled this smell happy. and I was like, 
It's like that smell. I know that smell. What is that? And I look out the I window, and there's a, he's just like hanging out by the by the mailbox, just smoking a doobie. So he's very happy. Well, look at that guy. That's great. All right, and he's not in Colorado, so no, he can get in trouble for any of the other states. I don't know why people book in Colorado all the time. That's what everybody does. <laughs> no, there's plenty of states these days. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think this is up to me. It this is. is from. Tank? Tank. 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 I can call him Tank. I know this guy. Hey, guys. I've been woodworking (laughs) uh, for just on a year now, and thus far I've worked exclusively with S3S four-quarter walnut and S3S five-quarter to four-quarter to five-quarter white oak. For those that don't know, S3S means surfaced on three sides. Don't assume that. (laughs) A lot of people don't know that. Living in Los Angeles, lumber yards are few and far between. I have two, both about an hour from where I live. However, one is 15 minutes from school. The closer one, Hudson, uh, Hudson and West, only sells S3S. For a beginner, it's easy to read, looks clean, and convenient to pick up. The other is Bonhoeff. That drive is much further away, and they sell, but they sell rough lumber. I thought I'd make the trek, pick up some rough lumber on my last project, but truth be told, I was intimidated by what I saw. Rough boards with lots of warp and crook. I had no idea what I would find underneath the rough, nor how much wastage I would incur. I opted to stick with what I knew, but part of me feels like my growth as a woodworker should be incorporating rough lumber. So and he just goes on to say that he does have access at school to, you know, plenty of capacity, 30 inch planer, 10 inch joiner. And he's also got stuff, um, smaller sizes at home. So it's not a matter of being able to process that. It's should I get rough lumber? Mm-hmm. Good question, Tank. Good question. You want to know some trivia about Tank? Yes. Maybe he doesn't want me to say, but I'm going to say it Uh-oh. anyway. He's no, an actor. I really want to know. Yeah, he's an actor. And he's, oh. yeah, I actually I met him at IWF and we've communicated on Instagram a few times. Um, but he uh, is on a couple TV shows. I, I, I'm sure he, he's in Hollywood. What's he care if people know? Um, he's on, uh, I guess. Like, isn't that the point? Yeah, isn't that the point? <laughs> uh, he's on The Resident and he was on Gilmore Girls. So the guy's actually like a real oh. legit actor. Wow. Anyway, some trivia for you. That's very cool. Yeah. Well done. All right. Well, no, I'm watching tonight. Gilmore Girls <laughs> Yeah, baby. Heck yeah. Marathon. <laughs> <laughs> so, this, this is actually really timely because I've been questioning, like, is rough lumber all that important? Um, I am building a bedside table right now. And um, the lumber that I'm starting with is lumber. It's some cherry that I've actually had for a while. And to the point where I honestly don't remember, I'm pretty sure I surfaced it, but it was so long ago, it doesn't really matter. As far as I'm concerned, I pulled this surfaced board, this would be an S2S board, off my lumber rack, and I'm starting to build with it. And I've just been like, wow, this is faster. <laughs> like, there's still some flattening that has to happen and everything, but like laying out all of my parts and everything was so much easier because I so clearly see the grain and everything. And I was, mm-hmm. I started thinking to myself, what is it that like, Cause there was this thing. It's like, well, you know, if you really want to get into woodworking, you've got to buy rough lumber. And for a while it was, you know, wastage. You could, you, you could save money on rough lumber. Eh, eh, maybe rough lumber is still expensive. Um, but if you, if you milled it yourself, maybe you could deal with their other thicknesses. You wouldn't have to be relegated to whatever thickness the mill ran it through. But I, I don't know. I don't think he's stunting his growth by not using rough sawn lumber. Yeah, I don't think so. I think there is a little bit of um, uh, sort of influence from everybody else. It just seems like, we, oh, you got to get to a certain point, get that rough lumber. Now you got your planer, your joiner. Now you're a woodworker. Uh, but yeah, I think it'd be perfectly fine. And there's plenty of people who do well with pre-surface lumber. And as long as you could find a decent source, you've got the budget to pay for it, you know, and, and you can make do with the stuff that may not be as dead flat as you needed it to be. Uh, I don't, yeah, I mean, I think it's perfectly fine. And and if the rough lumber ever presents itself as an option, then go to it, but don't certainly don't, uh, be down on yourself about it because you can't get access to it. Yeah. And, and I think to my earlier point about retail yards, um, my research shows that like most of the retail yards are selling surfaced lumber. Um, and there's a variety of reasons for that, but in many instances it's because that lumber that's on the retail rack was destined for a commercial customer. And for one reason or another, that was defected out, didn't meet a spec. It wasn't long enough, wasn't wide enough, or could have even been returned, Mm -hmm. um, from an overage for some other thing. And once it's surfaced, you can't unsurface it, right? You can't put the stuff back on. So it goes on a retail rack or 
in many instances, when we have this stuff, we actually target retail yards and sell them our surfaced material, our mill offcuts, our mill overruns. We sell them to the specific retail yards and they love it because that's what their customers are telling them they want is surface material. So that's one way to make a retail yard work is by buying the overruns from large mills. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get the stuff cheaper that way. How but, f- go ahead. I was just going to ask uh, Cremona, how frustrating would it be for you to be forced to work with pre-surfaced? Pretty frustrating. Considering like you, you know, sort of, uh, I don't know, that's really all you do is work, not just rough, but stuff that is like the ultimate <laughs> rough lumber. The, the ultimate rough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The was- ultimate rough. Yeah. <laughs> straight line ripped and stuff like that. You know, no live edges. <laughs> I think I think working with rough lumber has its own like definitely has a certain glamour to it because it, I think it does put you more in touch with the materials in in a sense. But I don't think you're like like should be shunned if you don't want to use it or you can't use it or <laughs> or whatever. It's just like an extra little thing. Like you have a lot more flexibility with what you can do. You can do all whatever thickness you want. You have probably have enough thickness there if you need to take out any kind of distortion to bring your stuff into flat. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're buying it at you know three quarter finished, it's going to be three quarter. You want to flatten it. Well, now you're under that. Yeah. So I don't you, think you have as many options with thickness either, like thicker lumber, eight quarter lumber, and stuff like that. I don't, there's not a lot of retail yards that are carrying surfaced stuff other than four quarter material. That's a good point too, and. It, that's the, you're going to have more flexibility. But again, like if it, if the material you need, if a project calls for three-quarter material, that's all you need, and the stuff coming from your supplier is flat already and it's pretty good, and you get it home and it doesn't move and doesn't warp on you, then cool. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, and if you well, could, um, Tank, if you could, take, I'll send you a Wood Whisperer sticker. Put it on the background of one of the sets on your show. Yes. <laughs> like sneak it in there and then let me know, and then I'll... Uh, I'll feel good about but myself. Yeah, there is one other point here that because he said he was a little intimidated and saw lots of rough boards with warp and crook. Well, that is rough lumber. I mean, certainly certain amounts of twist and, and cup. Okay, walk away from that. Yeah. But as far as his point of I'm not sure how much waste that I would incur, the lumber is still graded. And the lumber is graded based upon defects through um, NHLA lumber grades. So if you are looking at a stack of four-quarter lumber, somewhere the grade should be noted. And if not, you can ask someone and say, what is this? You know, this is FAS or that's one common. A little bit of an understanding of grades, just real high level. If it's FAS, it's going to be 83% clear. Um, anything less than that is going to start dropping down usually by about 10% and the various grades. So as far as the waste that would occur, if you're looking at FAS lumber, I mean, the, the real waste, the knots and stuff like that, you can still see in roughs on board, but you need to expect that there's going to be cup and bow and twist because it is a rough sawn board. That's what the milling process does. You know, that's why we have jointers and planers. You are getting it one step upstream from that. So don't necessarily look at it and go, that's nasty because it is going to look nasty (laughs) compared to smooth (laughs) surface lumber. That's the point, right? And that's why you can save a little money because the labor that went into making it smooth and pretty has not happened yet. Uh, So don't don't get put off by that. That's an experience that I would miss. That moment of actually surfacing your own lumber and seeing it transform from that grody ass piece yeah, of crap, good point. Yeah, yeah. turning yeah. into something absolutely beautiful. Me like that was under there. Right. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's a really good point. See, and yeah. my stuff is usually not rough enough to experience that. I mean, a little bit, but most <laughs> of it like transfers to the surface. It's it's a rough surface, but I can kind of see what's going on under there. Um, the it's other thing the to keep, rough. another thing to to <laughs> keep in rough. mind. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing to keep in mind, Tank, is if you are working with really long pieces, and this is kind of disappointing sometimes because you spend a lot of money and waste a lot of material, but let's say you're being like doing a big tabletop, um, you've got to consider that to truly flatten that piece over a six-foot length, let's say, uh, if that piece is a little bit bowed, you're going to have to take a lot of material out to truly flatten it. So sometimes you'll be buying an eight-quarter board knowing because of the amount of, of like distortion in the board, you know that once that is flat, you're actually only going to wind up with maybe an inch and a half, you know? So you have to yeah. kind of be prepared for, look at how rough it is 
and then decide what length that piece is going to be and how much of that is is going to translate. If you just take a straight section out of that big piece, how thin would that board be? That's just kind of something you have to keep in your head as you're looking at this stuff and making your purchases. Kind of sucks. I did that with this um, this desk project. I bought some pre-surfaced, I think it was pre-surfaced five-quarter. The problem was the boards were already pre-surfaced. And by the time <laughs> I, I, I planed them down and got them as flat as I needed them to be, um, I was down near four-quarter stock again. And I'm like, this is stupid. So I had to go find some rough six-quarter that I could then surface down, you know, in a significant amount of surfacing to get it down to the thickness that I was after, which is pretty lame. But that's the way it goes sometimes with rough stuff. Okay, I think that's about it for the show. Um, Shannon, how about you give us some contact info? Only if you want to. Because I got yelled at last time. We're and, not forcing you to do anything. I mean, if you're not doing anything else, if you'd like to give the contact info, then we can get out of here. I will give the ultimate contact info. Oh. Only the ultimate from now on. Only the best. We love hearing from you folks. So please contact us. Send us voicemails. Use your voice memo app. Send it to, send the voice memo, not the app, to woodtalkonline at gmail.com or use our contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact. And there's other stuff. Facebook and Twitter. I think we're on Twitter. Yep. People still use Twitter, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Instagram and Periscope and Vine. Still and a thing, right? Vero and all kinds of other apps that we are on but not actually on forget about that one catch us live on blip tv so (laughs) oh yes blip wow that takes me back you know when you were talking earlier about um thanking youtube for being part of your success and how much you could attribute to youtube uh having started earlier than that wouldn't you say that blip tv should be thanked more for like being responsible for our success blip tv was amazing back in the day and totally killed youtube in terms of functionality for podcasters and and video podcasters um yeah total and for that matter itunes like that's true we used blip tv in order to create an rss to feed itunes yeah totally uh blast from the past yeah okay anyway all right you guys are old yeah, we are. Yeah. You were still uh, you were still living with your parents back then, man. I haven't lived with my parents in I don't know, like thirteen years. Look, don't lie. It's okay. Five years or so. <laughs> well well <laughs> over it's been well over five years. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.